Welcome to Get Real with your boy Dave. Today I have a great show lined up for you guys. I have the pleasure and honor of hosting Eric Rothman, ESPN college basketball broadcaster as well as the South Bay Lakers broadcaster. Um, you know, today's show will be headlined by discussing the most wonderful time of the year. Not Christmas, but yeah, March Madness. You know, don't get me started. It's very depressing that didn't happen, but, you know, let's just make the most of it. Eric and I are here to do that, and um, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss um, what could have been. So stay tuned, and um, this is going to be a great show, guys. Hey, Eric, how you doing? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this, man. Yeah, no problem. All right, yeah. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, first, you know what I just normally do with my guests? I just have them introduce themselves, just so everyone, uh, you know, gets a better taste uh, for who they are. Uh, sure. So how's it going, everybody? My name is Eric Rothman. I'm the play-by-play broadcaster for South Bay Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers organization, and college basketball and boxing on ESPN. Great. Thank you. Um, so yeah, just, um, you know, just tell us kind of like what you love about, um, like we're going to focus more on college basketball here, but, um, we're going to talk about the G league, um, specifically too. um, but just about college basketball, what is that, uh, what is it that like you just love about college, uh, broadcasting for college basketball specifically? Uh, you know, for me, you know, college basketball is so unique, just like the atmosphere, um, you know, being on a college campus, the, the energy, um, you know, these aren't professional players. These are guys that, you know, are living and spending their daily lives with the people who are in the stands. They're going to class with them. They're eating their meals with them. They see them on campus. And, um, you know, so there's that, that intimacy. There's that connection uh, that I think the college basketball really thrives in. And, you know, especially in college towns. You know, I went to, I went to Syracuse University, which is a college town. At least I would, I would define it as such. And, um, you know, there's something that, the, the energy and the enthusiasm of the fan base, uh, you know, at games when that's the only thing going on in town. Uh, you know, everybody's there, 15,000 people on a given night or at a Syracuse basketball game. And, um, you know, the, the, the energy and the, the fandom, I think, sets college basketball apart. And, and that's what, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, going to those college towns and those arenas and being part of those games and that, that community, uh, you know, broadcasting those games. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so ca- let's uh, kind of talk about the NCAA uh, basketball tournament a little bit. Do you think, um, you know, like COVID-19, obviously, you know, it affected just, um, you know, there's no there's no tournament. At first they said that there um, wouldn't be any fans and then they just said, you know what, no tournament at all. So did it affect, um, you know, maybe the players and um, or just, you know, maybe the tournament itself uh, in ways that maybe fans may not fully uh, understand? Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, given the timing of of the tournament and what we knew about COVID-19 at the time, um, you know, it was all very brand new. Uh, the NBA had just uh, postponed their season, um, you know, about a week before the, the scheduled start of March Madness. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think that college basketball held out as long as they possibly could trying to wait and see if there was a possible uh, avenue for them to play their games. Um, 
And I think they really wanted to. I think the vast majority probably of schools would have wanted that to happen. And, um, you know, the, unfortunately, the, the, what happened was, uh, it was since it was such a new situation and it was fluid and it was evolving, there wasn't enough time given that there was really only a week between, uh, you know, when uh, the NBA postponed their season and when uh, the NCAA tournament was supposed to start, there wasn't enough time to figure out a plan B. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately they were kind of only left with one decision. And then also, you know, the NBA or excuse me, the, the NCAA is, is not just, um, you know, one entity, you know, the NCAA is, is an overarching entity, but there are conferences and leagues that fall under that umbrella that all started making their own decisions about whether they wanted their teams and their schools to participate. Um, so as soon as, you know, the PAC 12 decided that they weren't going to participate or Duke decided that they weren't going to, going to participate, um, you know, kind of forced the hand of the NCAA. And I think ultimately, you know, although it was unfortunate for, you know, everybody involved, I think they, they ultimately made the right decision with the information that was available at the time. Honestly, I think you're one of the best people to answer this um, next question, just because um, the position you're in broadcasting for both uh, both college basketball and for the G League, I'm sure you've heard that um, a lot of uh, like five star recruits are taking their talents to the G League instead of, um, you know, uh, just doing, you know, the norm and um, playing for uh, college basketball teams. Uh, they're Yeah, they're just committing to G League teams. And, from, you know, from there, they're expecting to just go to the draft. So. What do you kind of, you know, just having um, broadcasted and observed uh, both um, both leagues, what are your thoughts about big-time recruits joining um, the G League instead of playing for a college basketball team? Well, I, I think that it was a necessary thing that the NBA did, uh, putting in their, um, I forget the name of what they're calling it, their Leadership and Development Academy for these these high school seniors who are, you know, ranked and evaluated by the NBA and given the opportunity to join this, this team. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information yet. I think there's been three different uh, top five, top picks that have decided to, to um, go that route for next year. As far as I know, as far as what's been released, they're not going to be participating in the actual G league um, as it stands now, they'll kind of be on their own, um, you know, having not only, you know, basketball development, but also financial development and, um, you know, business development. And, you know, to me, it's a great option. I mean, before this, this is not a, it's not necessarily a new concept. I mean, there's, you know, the past few years, I mean, we, we just talked about LaMelo Ball. I mean, it's a prime example of a guy who, um, you know, didn't have that choice or I mean, he did have that choice. We've had guys in the G League over the past five, 10 years that have um, chosen to go the G League route uh, rather than go to Europe or rather than go to um, college basketball. The only difference now is that there's a program in place in the G League that separates those players, whereas before they just kind of joined the general population, they made their $25,000, $30,000 or whatever, and there wasn't anything different about them joining the G League than any other player. You know, Now the NBA G League has, has put together this whole leadership program, this development program, to teach them more, you know, not necessarily just about skills on the basketball court, but, you know, what to do and how to be a professional once you turn, you know, once you turn 19 and are eligible for the NBA draft. Um, so to me, it's a good thing um, because, you know, you're always going to have this need for a few players um, that are ready to pursue professional basketball. 
And prior to this, their choices were, you know, go and spend a year in college basketball. And really, it's not even a year. It's probably about six months, you know, because they all the elite guys, by and large, uh, you know, aren't going to classes after their basketball season ends. Um, They're going in training for the NBA. And so you could either go that route or you could have gone to Europe or Australia or wherever and played a year of professional basketball there. Uh, Or you could have gone to the G League and you could have just been a, you know, another guy in the G League and not had really any different experience than a regular G League player. So now this option allows those elite players uh, to stay closer to home, to stay under the eye of the NBA where they can be scouted more easily than if they were in Europe and allows them to develop under a structured program where they're, you know, learning tangible skills that are actually going to apply to what their life is going to be like once they join the NBA. So I, I don't, I, I think, I think you can have both. I don't think it's one or the other, whether, you know, college basketball is doomed or, you know, the NBA has to all of a sudden, all of a sudden allow every single high school player in America to, to join the NBA. I don't, I don't think you have to go to that extreme. I think it's about options. And I think you're always going to have a few players that are outliers that are fantastic basketball players that don't necessarily feel like their uh, best interest is served by going to a college. And I think this is a nice program and a kind of a bridge to get them to the NBA. Yeah, I love that because, I mean, you know, just being in quarantine, I've been following a lot of social media and a lot of people are like, I think, um, you know, like you're saying, just overreacting. They're thinking it's like one or the other. They're thinking that like just with this new, um, you know, with this new process um, coming along, a lot of people are just going to kind of like um, stick to that and ditch the uh, NCAA. And you're right. I think that um, there's going to end up being a balance. Um, and I think that, yeah, definitely a lot of people are just overreacting and thinking that um, like this, um, for some reason, just means it's the end of, you know, like the, the decline of the NCAA um, basketball. And yeah, I completely agree with you there. But do you think it will um, just start to become um, more of a trend or no? Well, you know, listen, I think that the way that they've built the program, at least under my understanding, it's a limited number of players who are even eligible um, to uh, take the offer from the NBA G League. Um, that they're evaluated by NBA scouts and GMs before they're, they're uh, offered this spot in this league or this team or whatever it's going to be. Um, and so, no, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you go back to 15, 20 years ago when high school players were allowed to go uh, straight from high school to the NBA, uh, you know, high, college basketball was fine. Uh, you know, it didn't, didn't go anywhere. You're always going to have players who are better than others. Some of those players are going to make a decision for themselves, whether they think that their talent is best served in a college atmosphere or a professional atmosphere. And they're going to, they're going to go and choose that no matter if you have a G league team or if you have a rule where you can't be drafted before you're 19 or any of these rules, guys are going to, if, if, if a player is really, determined to turn professional they can do it uh you know they can go to europe they can go to australia they can go to wherever they want and make money for playing you know playing basketball at age 18 if they if they so choose so those options have always been there uh this is this is a more this is a domestic option that is overseen by the nba that um you know will be for a limited number of players and i think you can have that and a thriving college basketball game um at the same time 
Got you. So, so yeah, I think that kind of um, caps off, um, you know, just uh, the G League. Um, is there, um, is there actually no? Let's uh, let's just um, one more question about the G League. Actually, is there like any a uh, South Bay Laker that um, you've broadcasted for recently that actually did end up making it to the NBA? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um, you know, probably most notably um, in the past couple of years has been Alex Caruso. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, that's that's the one. I don't want to say Alex Caruso, but that's the one I was really hinting at. Actually. Yeah, uh, you know, I had a chance to call games for Alex uh, when he was with Oklahoma City, and then um, you know, a couple of years with the South Bay Lakers. But um, you know, the, the Lakers, um, you know, organization has done a really good job of uh, developing talent in the G League, uh, whether that's with their rookies and their younger players or with. Um, you know, assignment players. Uh, and so, yeah, and there's been, uh, listen, at this point, I forget what the number is. I think it's, it's close to 70% of the NBA has played at least one game in the G League. Um, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a part of the journey at this point where if basically if you're in your first three years in the NBA, um, there's an expectation Unless you're, you know, unless you're a top one to ten player in the draft, there's an expectation that you're probably going to spend some time in the G League, and I think that's great. Uh, you know, I started calling games in the G League about ten years ago, and that was not the case. Um, the G League at that time was made up of kind of also rands guys looking for second lives in their careers, guys that are in their mid thirties trying to make it back to the NBA, and uh, you know, if you were a younger player and you were asked to go to the G League, it was looked at as a demotion or it was looked at as demeaning um, to your talent. And the league, to their credit, has done a great job. And a lot of it has to do with the collective bargaining agreement that was signed a few years ago. But um, they have completely changed the league, the makeup of the league, who's in the league, the, play, the type of the caliber of players. And they've also changed the mindset amongst the players. Um, you know, whereas 10 years ago, it was kind of looked at um, as a negative to go into the G League. Uh, now, I think by and large, players really embrace it. They see it as a way for them to get playing time where they otherwise probably wouldn't on an NBA roster. And the league is by and large at this point made up of guys who are, you know, 24 and under. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really competitive athletic league and it's really done a complete 180 from what it was, you know, 10 years ago. For sure, and yeah, I think I think um, one of the things you really uh, like that are important that you mention is just how it's like you know they the G League and the NBA have you know both kind of collaborated to kind of shift a lot of players' mindset into kind of understanding that this isn't anything like like uh, you know you're not degrading down a level. It's really just something like freedom proven. I think it's really important because a lot of people just you know I'm speaking from the fa- like a lot of the fans uh, now. Like they think that you know it's kind of like oh this guy got moved uh, to the G League or he made it from the G League like like you said a lot of people um think that it's kind of like this um you know this lower level but in reality it's not but I just have one more question um I haven't watched that many G League games but I I mean you know there's obviously not a lot of roster spots for G League players trying to make it to the NBA so I was wondering just uh you know you broadcasting and observing um games is there this kind of like mentality um 
like uh like on teams that players are just trying to like um score and be selfless or is it really like team basketball like college basketball well, I, listen i wouldn't say it's it's like college basketball i think it's closer to the nba than it is to college basketball but um you know the one thing that i've learned throughout the years broadcasting um in the g league is the nba by and large is not looking for scorers uh, you know, if you're a guy who can score 50 points in an NBA game, you're in the NBA. Um, you know, the NBA scouting, we talked about it, you know, a few minutes ago. NBA is pretty good about figuring out playmakers and scorers that are capable of playing at the NBA level. The guys who make it to the NBA from the G League and stick and make a career out of it are guys that find a niche. You take Alex Caruso, for example. I mean, Alex Caruso is not a guy that you would pick to go score 35 points in an NBA game. Is he capable, is he capable of doing right. that? Yeah, he probably is. But the reason he has stuck is because he was called up for his defense. He was called up for his you know, point guard, his handling ability, his passing ability, um, his tenacity and his energy that he brought off the bench. 99 times out of 100, if you're going from the G League to the NBA, you're not going to be playing 25, 30 minutes a game. You're going to be paying at least at the beginning, two, three, five, eight minutes a game. And no NBA team is looking for a scorer for five minutes a game in eight minutes a game. They, they need shot blockers. They need rim protectors. They need defenders. They need spot-up three-point shooters. They need you know guys that can run the offense when their starting point guard needs a break. Um, you know, so that's what, to me, that's what the game in the G League has evolved into is figuring out what your niche is and working really, really hard to showcase that and to get better at it. So that when a team says, hey, you know what, our leading rebound, rebounder is injured or we need a backup point guard for, you know, the next three weeks when this guy is hurt or we're going to trade somebody because we need to get under the salary cap and we need to fill a spot with a G League guy or we want a guy who's a really good defender. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for for 50-point scores. I've seen 50-point scores come through the G League every single year, and they wind up in China. That's where, that's where they, 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 they don't they, – wow. they, they very rarely, if ever – wind up in the NBA because that's not what the NBA is looking for. If you want to be a 50 point scorer and you're not already in the NBA, chances are, if if you're willing to do it, you're going to go play in China because that's what the Chinese league is looking for. They like American guys who are going to shoot threes and and score 50 points a game and they tailor their offense around to that. So, uh, like, like Lance Stevenson, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, example of that is Jimmer Fredette. Uh, You know, Jimmer has, Jimmer has right, built right. a career in China and he's a, you know, he's a God over there um, because his game is perfect for China. It wasn't perfect for the NBA because he didn't play defense, um, but it's perfect for the Chinese league and he's made a great career and a whole lot of money, um, you know, doing that in the, you know, in the, in the CBA. Uh, but if you're an, if you're a G league player and you're trying to get to the NBA, you're trying to stick. That's not the way to do it. Yeah, that, that's huge that you mentioned that, by the way, because I know a lot of people. Um, well, first, actually, I've, before I uh, m- uh, make that comment, um, Stefan Marbury also mm-hmm. just an example of um, of a type of player. You know, he was also a type of player that um, went overseas to China, 
and um, kind of became like what Jimmy Fredette is now. But just going back to what I was saying, it's it's really important that I think um that you say that just because a lot of like well, from what I see that like I don't want again like I mentioned I don't watch a lot of G League highlights but when I do it's only when they come up like on like popular uh, social media accounts and when is that probably when they have an insane highlight or when they drop a lot of points so I feel like a lot of people um who don't have such a large window and like don't you know kind of see the G League um uh like to its fullest um like you do are under the impression that um you know that's what buys you know like a ticket into the NBA kind of like 50 point games or consecutive 50 point games just scoring 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 but again like um you know Alex Caruso like you mentioned um it's it's really just about being selfless and um working on again like your niche yeah i think that's really important that you mentioned that definitely um what else so okay so now yeah let's uh, kind of talk more about college basketball um what's the you mentioned that Gonzaga is probably one of the most exciting atmospheres that you've actually broadcasted in, but is it the loudest? And if not, feel free to share what was. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's really it's it's tough to tell. Both Spokane and and the Kennel McCarthy Athletic Center is um is one of the loudest I've been at, if not the loudest. I would say the Marriott Center, uh, in Provo and the campus in BYU, uh, you know, when that that's an NBA or size arena. Um, you know, they, they pack 18,000 people into that thing uh, on a nightly basis. And it's like going to an NBA game, but with a, you know, the college kind of vibe to it, that place gets really loud. Uh, San Diego state Viejas, Viejas arena gets really loud. Um, I would probably say those three on the West coast are probably, uh, probably mm-hmm. the loudest places uh, that I've been at. Um and I'm trying to think where else. So in Pac-12, um, Colorado can get really loud. Colorado and Utah can get really loud, but those are those are also really big kind of cavernous arenas, so it doesn't really hit you as hard. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably say Spokane is probably uh, the kennel is probably number one. Got you. So, so I'm um, just talking, you know, just um more about broadcasting here. Um, were there any broadcasters that you looked up to? Um, I know growing up, I've always, um, you know, I'm just 18 years old, but still I've always looked up to people like Bill, Mc, uh, Bill McDonald. Um, I'm a Laker fan. So it was, you know, kind of just like, um, growing up, I, he was the, like the, you know, primary voice that I heard. And it's not just because I'm a Laker fan, you know, I always just enjoyed, um, listening to him. I thought, um, he had great excitement. And there's Kevin Harlan again. And probably, you know, the one that, uh, you know, I, I love the most is a Mike Green from uh, ESPN. Um, I actually broadcasted. There was a school. Uh, my school had like hosted a basketball tournament this year um, from like from schools all over the country. Uh, it's called the Globerman Tournament. And I um, I broadcasted and I know that, um, uh, you know, when I did broadcast, I, I always tried mirroring Mike Green. So is there a broadcaster that you kind of grew up idolizing and try maybe mirroring yeah, now you know, as well? I, I grew up in, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, before I moved out to California and Marty Brenneman, who, uh, just retired last year as a hall of fame broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds and had been the play by play broadcaster for, I don't know, 40 years. I'm probably more than that. And, um, I love Marty. Um, and growing up, you know, he's a ra- ba- you know, calling baseball on the radio, uh, is a skill. Um, you know, that is a true, true skill, uh, to keep people engaged on the radio to a baseball game for three hours. Um, 
and he he is fantastic. Um, and so he was a guy that I always looked up to and admired, not only because, you know, was he a, a fantastic broadcaster in the classical, you know, X's and O's sense, but uh, personality wise, you know, a guy who didn't sugarcoat anything, a guy who was not afraid to inject a little bit of opinion or uh, feeling into the game he was calling. And, you know, I, I think that's important from a broadcasting point of view, because you don't want to cheat the viewers and you don't want to cheat the listeners. Um, you know, the biggest thing that drives me nuts about any broadcaster is, you know, trying to make a game out to be something that it's not. Oh, this is the greatest atmosphere ever. This is, oh, what a great game this has been. You know, I'm, I'm watching the game at home or I'm listening to the game at home. I can tell you it's not the greatest game I've ever seen. I can tell you this game stinks or this team stinks. Um, you know, growing up in Cincinnati, there was a lot of years where the Reds stunk. And, you know, we had TV broadcasters who would come on and make you think that it was, a you know, you're watching a hundred win baseball team. And, you know, um, you know, most sports fans are smart and they want broadcasters who are going to, you know, they're going to do a good job, but they're also not going to pretend that something's happening that's not happening. And that's what I always appreciated about Marty was, you know, he, he gave it to you straight. He called a really good game, um, but he also didn't didn't sugarcoat it if it was great or if it wasn't great he was going to give you his honest opinion and his honest call of what was going on in front of him and uh you know that's that's something that i've always tried to try to emulate yeah definitely i love that um yeah you know i feel like most people when i ask them who their famous broadcaster is and i don't think i've ever heard that um you know that great of an explanation before but that's a great one especially just because um you know him i've never listened to him I'm, I'm not really a baseball fan but just the fact that you know he never um tried to kind of like uh fool the sports fans or anything like that uh, kept it straight and um entertaining i love that definitely um so yeah so just going back um, to what i was saying earlier when i broadcasted for the Globeman tournament you know obviously i didn't steal um any of like my favorite broadcasters uh go-to sayings right like uh, like Ralph Lawler, um, he just retired. Uh, he was a Clippers broadcaster. I'm sure you know him. His famous bingo or uh, Mike Breen's famous bang, you know. But it, um, it wasn't so easy coming up with my own, even though I end, uh, did end up doing it. Did you, like, do you come up with your own, um, you know, go through sayings just after a bucket or anything like that? Or do you kind of, like, uh, take from others? Just tell me about uh, how that works. You know, by and large, I tried to stay away from catchphrases. Um, you know, I think that, it works for some people. Uh, I think you kind of have to get to a certain level, uh, you know, where it doesn't sound hokey or, or you know, where you're trying too hard. Um, you know, when I first started in the G League, and I was, let's see, I was 22, 23. And, you know, our games were broadcast on YouTube and there was probably, you know, eight people watching it at a given time. And, you know, I would try to sneak in movie lines or references to songs or, you know, I would have friends of mine from college and high school text me, hey, what do you want? What do you want me to say? You know, when something big happens and I'll say, you know, I'll say, um, but, uh, you know, I love I that, yeah. found something that, um, you know, that I liked enough to keep using um, game after game or to, to, to really try hard to work in, you know, if it's natural and it, it comes to my mind and it's reactionary and, it you know, it works. Um, but, you know, I, by and large, I've found that anytime that I try to pre-plan what I'm going to say in the moment, you know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't come off as 
as real. Um, and maybe it's just in my own head. You know, maybe if you were watching the game at home, you would have no idea that it was something that I pre-planned versus, um, you know, something that uh, was spontaneous. But I, the stuff you say spontaneously, the stuff that you're feeling in the moment, always to me is the stuff that sticks out as the better call because you're just allowing yourself to react to what's happening in front of you. You're allowing yourself to to feed off the emotion of, you know, the players and the fans. And, you know, when you're worried about, oh, I got to get this catchphrase in or I got to get this line in, that, that's what you're thinking about. And you're not paying attention to what's happening in front of you. Uh, so, you know, by and large, I try to stay, stay away from, uh, you know, planning out what, I, what I'm going to say in, in any given moment. Got you. Um, okay, so now let's shift gears. Let's talk about, um, you know, what's unarguably the most wonderful time of the year, all right? Not Christmas, but the big dance and what everyone likes to call March Madness, all right? Um, you know, I'm sure for you too, and, you know, for most of America, it was very depressing when, you know, the news came out. Um, I know for me, at least, when it was supposed to be Selection Sunday, I was just, you know, I couldn't – it was so hard for me to process that I wasn't – you know, going to turn on the TV at like 3.30 Pacific time and see, um, you know, EJ and the crew um, just announcing, um, you know, the the seedings. And, um, you know, Thursday, obviously, won the round of 64. It was also just uh, that day. It was also just hard for me to process that I wasn't going to wake up and um, uh, just see, uh, you know, just see everything go down. But, you know, the you know, let's just make the most out of it and um, talk about our predictions um, so actually before that, how did you take in the fact that, um, you know, there were at first not going to be any fans and then it getting canceled? How were, you know, what was going on just cause you had to broadcast, maybe you had plans going anywhere. Just what was going on uh, in your life? Just with that whole uh, uh, scenario. Well, I was, um, they cancel everything on Thursday afternoon, Thursday before selection Sunday. Um, uh, and I was scheduled to fly up to Idaho on Friday to do the Big Sky Conference Championships on Saturday night, which would have been one of the last uh, tickets punched. Um, so, you know, I'd been preparing for that. And, um, you know, I, I, Big Sky is not a, a conference that ESPN broadcasts outside of um, outside of the conference championship. So it's not a, it's not a conference that I'm very familiar with. Uh, so it was kind of doing my research and following along as their tournament was progressing. Um, and then, um, you know, it was about, you know, less than 24 hours before I was supposed to fly up there and everything got canceled. I think at that point, you know, on Thursday, you kind of pretty much knew it was like every 10 minutes, uh, a different conference was canceling games and, um, you kind of just knew big sky was one of the last ones actually to cancel their tournament. And so, it was disappointing. Um, you know, I love being a part of champ week on ESPN and, um, you know, that's really fun to call a game where the winner is going to the NCAA tournament, especially in a league like the big sky where they're only going to get one team, uh, into the NCAA tournament. So, uh, it was disappointing. Um, you know, not only from a professional standpoint of not getting to call the game, but also, you know, I felt bad for, you know, all these, all these players and coaches and fans who had traveled and were already in the destinations and playing the games. And then to have everything just kind of stop abruptly was really disappointing. And, um, you know, I was in the same boat as you as, um, kind of weird kind of going through those next couple of weeks and not having basketball and, 
uh, ESPN, who I work for, doesn't doesn't broadcast broadcast the NCAA tournament, but they do the the NIT tournament, uh, which I've done games for in the past. And that's a, even though it's you know not, even though it's not the premier tournament, uh, it's still a fun time, and they experiment with rules, and the fans are still. Um, you know, interested uh, and, and they play games at home arenas. And um, I was looking forward to potentially being a part of that again this year. And uh, so, yeah, just, just overall, overall disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget me. I already told you, you just don't even get me just sad. It's just sad. But um, again, like I said, the most we could do is just to talk about it, uh, make the most of it. So let's do it. Um, Okay, so yeah, everyone that knows me, honestly, knows that I plan ahead, especially when it comes to the bracket, just because I can't, like, um, control my excitement. So really, like, um, even before, you know, there were no official brackets, um, obviously, but there were, like, I, I think it was Andy Katz that posted, like, um, what the brackets would look like after, like, every week. Um, so I think it was, like, the week, I, like, the most recent bracket, like, a week before the tournament was supposed to be... Um, going on um i kind of like uh i kind of uh, did my bracket i i did my research and i had my you know i had everything panned out and i had my sleepers i had my final four and so yeah i, I was just very organized about everything so honestly before i ask you what yours was i'll just um mention i'll tell you what mine was um so i had kansas versus dayton um uh, on one side and then i had all right you're probably gonna think i'm crazy but every year i always take one team in my final four that, you know, people don't really expect. And this year, it was Butler um, versus uh, Gonzaga, okay? Butler, I know they were, you know, I think they were, uh, like, from the one the bracket I was feeling, I think they were seven seed, but I love – Kamar Baldwin's probably my favorite player um, in all of college basketball. I'm sure you know him. Um, I think he's the, he's my favorite. You know, he's just very exciting to watch, and I, I've loved watching him since he was a freshman. So, I mean, um, and I just love the chemistry he had on the team. I, I thought they were going to, for sure, make the Final Four. Um, against Gonzaga, and then I had Kansas beating Gonzaga. Um, I loved, I absolutely loved um, Oduka Zubuke. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but hopefully um, you know him. Uh, he's like he was their center. He was uh, very dominant. And then uh, the the, the um, combination um, with Devon Dotson and of course Marcus Garrett. I think that um, I think that they were just Kansas was for sure gonna um, take home the championship this year. So with that being said, um, I would like to invite you to share. Um, you know, just what your final four, I'm, I don't know if you've been thinking about it recently, but if you can just give me like an estimate or like a, you know, just tell me what you think your um, final uh, four well, probably would have looked like. Me, so I, I don't, I don't have the uh, different regions, but uh, you know, listen, I can tell you that the, the best teams that I saw this year, uh, you know, firsthand uh, Gonzaga um, was fantastic. Um and, and maybe the best team in the country. BYU was great and probably. Oh my God. No, uh, I was about was to really talk about them. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, the combination of, of TJ Haas and Yoli Childs and Alex Borsello and um, Jake Toulson. Um, I really like their coach, Mark Pope. Uh, he is going to be, he, he's going to do what BYU has hoped for since they joined the West Coast Conference, which is compete with Gonzaga year in and year out. Um, and uh, he's, he's a fantastic coach, and he's perfect for that environment and that city. And uh, I think they had the potential, given how well they were playing, I think they had the potential to be a, a, you know, a sleeper team like you had cho- chosen Butler. Um, you know, I really like San Diego State. I think that um, 
they were on the verge of getting back to their uh, their center um, Mensa uh, that would have added a lot of depth uh, to their team um, and I think that um, Brian Dutcher's a really really good coach and coached two decades under Steve Fisher and I think would have been well prepared for for the tournament so those were the three best teams I think that I saw uh, in person this year and um, you know, in, in terms of in terms of other teams, listen, Kansas is always um, obviously a viable choice. I like your Butler ch- choice. I, I I'm even even now. I mean, Syracuse is no longer in the Big East, but I I like the Big East. Um, I think they produce qual- quality teams year in and year out, and I think that sometimes they get a little underrated because they all kind of beat up on each other. Um, but Butler's a really good team this year. Seton Hall was a good team this year. Villanova was a good team this year. Um, you know, I don't think it could go. Yeah, Stephen Hall had a uh, Miles Powell, who was, uh, I think, one of the best. I think people could argue is one of the like maybe not yeah, the best absolutely. or at least top so, three you know, best seniors out of this year. Teams, um, you know, would have would have been um, uh, a quality team to choose in in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, and then yeah, you, know, you got teams like Florida State who are always around. Um, and obviously the ACC, um, you never know kind of what's going to gonna come out of that um, conference is so large and so deep um, that you could have, uh, you know, a nine or a 10 seed like Syracuse has been in the past, you know, few years has always seems to sneak into the tournament as a nine seed. And then they find their, you know, their way to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with your choice. It's it's obviously in hindsight. There's really there's really no way of knowing who's who's right or who's wrong. But uh, I can tell you from my my firsthand experience that yeah, uh, Gonzaga, BYU, San Diego State, I think would have all three uh, been in the second weekend. Definitely. Okay, so the thing is with me. Is that I mean obviously like San Diego State was uh you know they were they were supposed to be a one seed. So I mean like I would never take a one seed out in the first round or second round, but I do think that I I I did I know that when it uh came time to you know actually um fill my like the official bracket, I would have for sure taken out San Diego State in the sweet sixteen. I I don't know, man. I don't like their team this year. Also, I think Baylor was like I don't know what it was about the one seeds this year. Like, I mean, again, Kansas was a great – Gonzaga was great. But, I mean, I don't know. Baylor and San Diego State really didn't – I don't know. I I didn't feel a connection there. I didn't feel like they were going to go far. I don't know. It was, maybe it was just me. But uh, San Diego – for sure, Baylor. I, didn't, I, didn't, I was not a big believer in Baylor at all. I didn't think they would make the Final Four at all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just in terms of sleepers, um, again, I, you said BYU. Um, I think that – the thing is that with BYU is that they're not much of sleepers in the first, second round. But I think to go to, like um, – the elite eight, they would for sure be considered sleepers. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that BYU was, uh, you know, they were capable of pulling off the upset and making all the way to the elite eight. Um, I love Penn state. I love Penn state. Um, they were supposed to be like, again, a four or five seed, but I think I had them going to the elite eight. Also, I, um, it, I loved watching them. I, 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 I thought they were for sure going to um, go far too, but let's just stay, uh, stay on the topic here. Do you have like a certain, um, a uh, player, college basketball player that you just, you know, every time you watch, you're just like, damn, like this guy's going to be special or you just, you just love uh, um, broadcasting for. Of the, of the guys that, um, that I've had, you know, had the chance of broadcasting. Um, 
It's a good question. You know, this year, this year especially wasn't, there wasn't, um, you know, you look at Gonzaga, you look at San Diego State, which are two teams that I, you know, we were just talking about. They're not guys, they don't have like one guy that really stands out. I mean, they have, they have really, really good players, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, not necessarily like, you know, Gonzaga had last year with Rui Hachimura or Brandon Clark or somebody like that. Um, honestly, the guy that I really enjoyed watching and I've enjoyed calling his games over the past few years has been Yoli Childs at BYU. Um, you know, Yoli is, uh, he's a, he's a good competitor. Um, he's worked really, really hard to improve his game, his mid range and his outside shooting. Um, he's a little bit undersized for the NBA, but I, I, I like guys who have to work really hard. Um, you know, the guys that are the freak athletes and the guys that have, you know, are, you know, have all the glitz and the glamour. They're fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to turn away from watching them or, or, you know, I don't want to discount them. Uh, but the guys that me personally, that I'm attracted to watching a game are the guys that are the grinders and the guys that, you know, have to get their, no- their noses dirty uh, to make an impact. And, and Yoli Childs um, to me, has been a guy over the past three, four years that I've enjoyed watching um, and calling games for just because I've been able to see firsthand his improvement, how hard he works. Uh, and I think, I, I think he'll stick on an NBA roster. It might take him a couple of years in the G league, but um, you know, I, I think he, he will be there eventually. And, um, and he's, he's really, really skilled. And when he, when he, when he's got a good game going on, uh, a guy can run the pick and roll. The guy can play in the post. He can work out of a double team. And those are the guys that I like watching. Definitely. Um, yeah, he was definitely a pleasure to watch. Um, let me see. Just uh, Okay, yeah. So do you think um, – let's just talk about the, um, the you know, the, the most prestigious award given out every year. Um do you, which was won by um, Obi Toppin this year, do you think that, I mean, I'm sure like, you know, part of you says for sure about this, but I mean, do you think that he deserved, you know, fully deserved to be player um, of the year? Or maybe there was another no, I, player I, I that you had in mind, like Luca Garza. Well deserved. Um, you know, what, what he was able to do for Dayton and Metza. I mean, Dayton, I, like I said, I mentioned, I grew up in, in Cincinnati, which is about a you know, 45 minute drive from Dayton. Uh, Dayton is a great sports town. Uh, there's no, there's no professional sports there, but, um, they sell out every game for the Dayton Flyers. Um, there's a, I think there's a single A affiliate for the Cincinnati Reds, the Dayton Dragons. They sell out those games. It's like far and away supposed to be the best, you know, minor league baseball experience in the country. Um, so I thought, I thought it was really cool to see that fan base and that city, get their just due and be exposed rightfully. So as a great sports town, and he was a big reason why, obviously. Um, and, and I think he was well-deserving of that, of that award. And uh, he would have been my pick. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah, I think I, I love Luca Garza though, even though I definitely like agree with you and think on top and deserved it. Uh, I love Luca Garza. I think what he was able to do with Iowa um, this year um, was just great, and um, you know he. I don't, I'm not gonna say he changed the game, but he really did a, um, you know, more than was expected out of his position. So I uh, love him too. Do you think that um, 
So this is kind of like this is kind of a hot take. But do you think um, Toppin uh, is a lock at top three pick next year in the draft? Again, like you mentioned, there's James Wiseman, um, uh, Lamelo Ball, uh, Anthony Edwards. Do you think maybe not top three, top five, but where do you think just like around? Um, uh, where do you think like uh, Toppin's to gonna land? Draft board. I think he's probably a top ten player. Um, you know, I would I would be surprised if he fell out of there. I think he's a, you know he's a freak athlete, um, and you know we've we've seen what his capabilities are at the college level, and I think it translates pretty well to the NBA. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's somewhere between five and ten. Um, that that sounds about right for him. Got you. And yeah, I mean, uh, we honestly made it to the uh, the last question here. Um, and I saved it for last just because it's probably my favorite. And I think you're going to have to think a little, um, you know, a lot about this one. But uh, to honestly, take your time here. Um, what is the best March Madness oh, bracket geez. prediction you've the ever best made? Madness bracket prediction I've ever made. <laughs> hmm. Yes, sir. That's a really good question. Oh man! The problem is, is I'm terrible at the brackets. Um, yeah, my problem is, is that I really. <laughs> um, I'm honestly, who is no, it? Like, let's be real. I get really attached like... to these teams that I let, that I you know that I've met the players and I met the coaches and. Sometimes against my better judgment, I pick them because I want them to win. And I want, you know, I want to see the guys that I know personally to, to do well. Um, so I'm usually on the other end of a great pick because I pick, you know, I follow, I follow my heart instead of my head. Uh, and so I can't, uh -huh. I can't off the top. I can't off the top of my head give you one where I would be, you know, <laughs> super proud. And even if I could, it was probably out of dumb luck, um, you know, more than more than anything else. I think I had, uh, you know, I think I had Texas Tech going pretty far last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, nothing off the top of my head where I could, t where I could you know, be proud of, of my pick. Usually, uh, usually pretty mediocre. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, I also had Texas Tech. I'm going really far last year. I had, um, I know I had, I, ha I remember ha having Duke not making the uh, the final four. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, again, like you mentioned, I know, I, I know it's a tough question. I'm having trouble myself thinking of, um, you know, insane picks that I've made, even though I have made a couple great ones. But I just want to kind of bring up an example. One of my friends, he had the exact, um, the exact final four, um, you know, the exact final four last year. Um, and then he ended up changing it just because he felt like, like he had it like a day before the bracket, uh, the bracket locked. And then he ended up um, changing it because he's like, no, like I can't do it. Um, my head's telling me yes. My heart's telling me no kind of thing. And um, yeah. And it, he ended up like getting so mad. So like, uh, you know, obviously he got mad. So just um, the thing is, is that like, like you mentioned, like with uh, March Madness, it's just so tough. Sometimes you have to kind of tell yourself, like, you know, I know this is logic, but like, I, I gotta, make, I gotta take at least one or two like bold calls. That's what makes yeah, it so yeah. entertaining and also so um, devastating. So, yeah.
Exactly. I know exactly. Um, the amount of times my friends have told me that is just ridiculous. But yeah, man. Um, yeah. Just honestly, like last thing though, did you how did how was your experience um watching the final four last year? Did you enjoy um you know seeing Virginia win? Um, like just tell me like um how it was for you. Just uh, was it exciting? I know it was Virginia, Texas Tech, Michigan State, and uh, Auburn. Yeah, so, you know, I, I really did you expect any of them? Just talk uh, to me through that. I think I'd have to go back and look. I think I had put Auburn in the in the final four. Uh, and I really liked their team last year. I think, maybe, yeah, maybe, oh, wow. if you were to ask me that last question, maybe that's it. I, I was pretty high on Auburn last year, and I had them, I had them um, going pretty far. I don't remember if I had them in the Elite Eight or the Final Four, but um, I really liked Auburn. Uh, you know, and given what had happened to Virginia a couple of years ago, it was, um, you know, it was nice to see them bounce back. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you lose. It was year, actually the year before. How so, crazy is that? Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a good tournament, um, and then um, you know I, I I like um, you know I like the brand of basketball that Virginia plays. I know a lot of people think it's kind of boring, but um, yeah, I'm a fan of, of of theirs and watching them. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed last year's Final Four, even though maybe it wasn't the most uh, marquee Final Four you know in the history of basketball. It's still still enjoyable. Definitely. Um, just two, two um, last things really quickly. Um, is Was there like um, a, a moment like or like just like anything happened, like a buzzer beater? Um, like that was just like the most exciting moment. You're just like or like like um, the moment you're most fond of which is when it comes to March Madness. Like every time you talk about it, like, like it's like the first thing that pops into your head. Like, um, oh, this is like definitely what like, um, showed me what yeah, March think, Madness is really like. Year you get you get that. Um you know, you get a buzzer beater, you get, um, you get a situation, uh, what was it? The, the Auburn situation last year with the miss free, it was two years ago with the miss free throws and, um, you know, the, the, in, the inbounds violation. And, um, you know, for me personally, in terms of, um, you know, broadcasting, um, you know, I had a chance, it was a probably three, four, three years ago at this point, um, you know, it was Gonzaga's uh, last regular season game of the year, and they were twenty nine and zero uh, at the time. And uh, they had, you know, they were they were playing BYU at home, and um, and they, they ended up getting up. They beat BYU the week before, two weeks before in in Utah by about twenty five points. Uh, and so everybody kind of just assumed that it was a foregone conclusion that, you know, Gonzaga was going to win at home a place that they very rarely lose anyway. Um, and they hadn't lost all season. And so they had all their, you know, famous alumni and they had the balloons and the rafters and the confetti ready. And, you know, students were camped out for days uh, to get in. And then, you know, they ended up losing the game, um, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, when I think about March, that was probably, a late February game, if not, you know, the first couple days of March, um, you know, it's, it's stuff like that where it's, you know, doesn't matter what you did two weeks ago. doesn't matter what you did a month ago. doesn't matter what you did for your entire season. You could have gone 30 and Oh, uh, you know, good for you. You get, you get into the, you get into the conference tournament or you get into the March madness and, and it's anybody's game and it's a one and done. And um, you know, that's, that's the stuff that makes it exciting.
Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, just as you were saying that, I'm like, damn, like, like just describing the whole atmosphere, and then boom, that that was like a perfect description of um, <laughs> what college basketball is like. Like, everyone can expect whatever they want when it comes down to it. Just it can end up um being you know like just nothing like anyone expects. Um, yeah, just um, just like yeah, was it a was it a close game at least the BYU Gonzaga game? Um, but it kind of you know came down to the final. It didn't come out on the final play, but it did come down to the final minute or so before you realize that BYU kind of pulled away. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a buzzer beater, but it was, uh, but it was, a, a, it was a good game at least. Have you, have you uh, ever yeah. broadcasted yeah, for a buzzer, buzzer beater or a game winning game? Um, I had a buzzer beater last year in college basketball. Uh, I forget who was playing at this point. Um, it was a game in Las Vegas, but those, it was just the, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't UNLV, but, um, but yeah, you know, I've had it, had a chance to call some, some buzzer beaters and, and they're fun. Um, you know, they're yeah, depends on, depends on obviously the, the, the meaning of the game. Uh, all buzzer beaters are fun because they're exciting in, in the moment, but um, you know, something like the Gonzaga BYU game where obviously that means a lot. It's the difference between being undefeated or, or not, um, you know, versus a game that might be the second game of the season or whatever it is that maybe isn't as meaningful. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with the circumstance, but yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to have some, uh, some buzzer beaters. I actually remember my first year with ESPN, which was like, I think it was five years ago at this point. Uh, I was calling games in the big West. Um, and I think I had, I think I did six games that year for, ESPN in the big West. I think five of them came down to the final shot. Um, so I, yeah, so I got, I set, I set myself up too high because it's never happened wow. like that again, but uh, that was a, that was a, that was a fun stretch of games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know I've, I've only broadcasted yeah, for two years, but I, mean, I, I would love, I would love if that happened. Um, yeah. Um, just yeah, honestly, like um, the thing is with me is that like I broadcast for like um, you know for high schools, but not like D one. I think it's like I think my high school um is a D three uh, you know D three team. So you don't get that many um you know just not like insane cro- like insane crossover stuff like that. But like we did have a kid on our team this year that dunked, and like for us that means everything because you don't <laughs> see that every day. And I don't remember the last time my school probably had a kid that could dunk, you know like a lot so just broadcasting for that um for every time he dunks it was just like a pleasure also i guess that doesn't that's doesn't equate at all to a buzzer beater anything like a byu gonzaga game but i think that would probably be like um <laughs> my best experience broadcasting but um yeah um that's honestly i just wanted to kind of mention like you were talking about um teams um you know that uh, just uh, insane moments um that you've broadcasted or uh, witnessed I just want to kind of bring in just obviously I haven't, um, you know, broadcast anything college basketball, but the ones that I did witness um, were like, you know, obviously, you know, Chris Jenkins against North Carolina at the buzzer, which was probably, you know, the thing that, you know, every time I think of March is probably the thing that um, I think of uh, first or the moment I think of first, just because it was a national, I've never seen anyone score a game winning, you know, uh, shot to win the championship before, regardless of it was whether in um, uh, March Madness or NBA, um, anything or in the Super Bowl I've never seen anything like that before actually no, I have with the Patriots and the Falcons but um that's like the only thing so it was, it's just a really rare thing for me to see 
Um, and also, just a team that, like, if there's one team, honestly, I just wanted to share this, that really pissed me off the most and kind of, like, ruined my bracket. Uh, you could share yours after if you want, if you, like, recall any, just, like, a team that just, like, constantly ruined your bracket. Like, if, if they weren't in the equation, like, you would have at least a mediocre type of bracket. For me, it was Lyle Chicago. That team just, like, I'm sure for many other people, but I just, like, hated, I hated their team. Like, I, re- I don't remember the uh, player's name, but I remember it was against Miami uh, in the first round. They were about to lose. Um, I think one of the point guards on Miami missed a free throw, and then they just uh, Lyle Chicago just came down the field. Uh, I mean, court and hit a you know a deep three to win it. And ever since, I didn't even realize how like how much you know damage they would cause to my bracket. But after that game, you know, it just all went downhill for me. So if you have anything like any team like that, it's just the last point um, uh, that you that kind, you kind of recall. But I, uh, I feel free to I share. Out of my way that to usually not pick Duke. Uh, not not that I have any particular dislike for Duke, but I just think it's more fun to, to root against them than, than to root for them. Yeah. I was rooting, oh my God, I was rooting against them so much last year just because I didn't have them, I had them going to losing the Elite Eight, which is still obviously, you know, let's say they got on the first round or uh, I got on the first or second round, it would still cause lots of damage to my bracket, but at the end of the day, it would end up benefiting mine just because of the amount of people that ended up taking Duke. So, the thing with me is that, like, I I wanted them to get out for so many reasons. Also, just because I, okay, I I am of the unpopular opinion that Zion is overrated. I know it's very unpopular again, but anyways, I he's amazing. Don't get me wrong, he's a you know, generational talent. But I, I I just really wanted him to lose. So it, I don't know if you remember, it was the second game against uh, UCF, and they were losing like the whole entire game. And at the end, like, like um, they got lucky because Zion got a rebound. And I was just, I wanted UCF to win so badly. And then, um, you know, Zion, Zion got the board. He scored an end one. I don't know if he hit the free throw, but I remember they were up one. And then UCF had a final, like, um, five, six seconds, something like that. The, uh, a guy missed a uh, – it was a contested layup, but it almost went in. And then if, you know, this is, like, probably the most classic March game ever – um, I think this is honestly one of my favorite players to watch. I think he's insanely underrated. I have no idea where he is now, but just watching him in, against uh, Duke in that game, uh, I, I was just shocked. I had no idea yeah. who he was. His name was Aubrey Dawkins. Yeah, Johnny Dawkins. His dad was the coach of UCF. I don't know if you know him, but um, he, you know him? Yeah, yeah. So his son Aubrey was just a beast, like insane that game. Um, and I, again, I had no idea who he was that game uh, before that game. But he just went off, and um, and again, like again, like I was saying, the last possession, um, Duke was up by one. Uh, I think their point guard had a contested layup, which almost went in, and then Aubrey Dawkins missed a tip in, which like, oh my god, it was not an ordinary tip in. Like it, it was like, it, like it was like really like in inside the basket, and then just crawled out, and I was so mad. But I mean. Just going back to Duke, I mean, because uh, you mentioned that, I just, uh, that's probably one of the yeah, most no, annoying no, I, memories I, I have. I don't have but yeah, just continue what you were saying, you, honestly. It sums up pretty good. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, so um, thank you for uh, joining. I really appreciate it. Um, stay safe out there. I know it's uh, I know it's getting crazy, but I mean, um. I just wanna, I just wanna, you know, on behalf of me and everyone um, else listening, that's a huge fan of uh, March Madness and college basketball. I wanna say sorry just because of the way things turned out, and I know how, um, I know how uh, much no you know you are, uh, you, uh, you were looking forward Talk to soon. it. But uh, yeah, thank you so much, man.
All right, man.